You're listening to The Conservative Conscience. In Washington, politicians are full of half-truths and hot air. The Conservative Conscience is here to help you cut through the rhetoric and noise and explore the politically right way to think about the issues. You'll dive into one of the most insightful conservative minds in America. Conservative Review Senior Editor Daniel Horowitz. Using pure common sense and ignoring the group think, Daniel breaks down the major issues in Washington. You are now entering the conservative conscience. And welcome back to the conservative conscience here at Conservative Review, powered by Blaze Media Network. It is Friday, June 14th, and the weekend cannot come soon enough. I am tired as anything. What an exhilarating week. Um, follow, uh, follow us at RM Conservative. You could see our lively Twitter feed. So many issues going on. So much breaking news just on just on immigration and everything related to the border, much less everything else going on. The president made some good appointments. Tom Homan looks like he's being appointed borders are. On the other hand, we got another judge, the D.C. District Court or D.C. Court of Appeals, ruling once again that illegal aliens have the right to an abortion. So they have a right to throw their baby on us and force us to uh, steal our citizenship or kill it. But not in the middle, which is what it should be, that we want you to have a nice live baby, but you know he is not an American citizen. Got stolen sovereignty. Every day the president refuses to act either on what it will take to shut down the flow or on ending the stealing of the American birthright through unqualified automatic birthright citizenship to invaders, we have more American citizens being made against our will. We're going to have a special, special guest on the show today. Dan McLaughlin, he's the mayor of Uvalde, Texas. We did an interview with him. He was on Tucker, Tucker Carlson last night because of our work. It's very interesting. Fox won't have me on, but they're starting to have some of our guests on. They listen to the show. They see the articles, and that's fine. Look, if we could influence them then, um, whether I like it or not, Fox still has the conservative audience, so that's where we need to get it out. Um, and if I can't direct people towards the right thing on, things on Fox, they'll have our guests on, and that's that's great. So we're going to have them on in a moment. I just want to frame this interview before we, we bring the mayor on. And, and there is a lot going on we're going to have to spill into next week. Just we're not going to have time to get into because I do want to have a, a guest today. So on the one hand, there's there's a lot of good news. You know, if you would have told me a year ago we would have Tom Homan now as border czar, Mark Morgan as ICE uh, acting director, Cuccinelli at USCIS, which runs Asylum, his deputy chief of staff, my friend John Zedrosny, I'd say, oh my gosh, you can't get a better group of people. There's also a secret guy, I'm not going to mention his name, who is the point man for immigration at the Justice Department. They don't get any better than him. You literally don't, it doesn't get any better. But nonetheless, to date, we still haven't seen much progress. Now, there's reasons for that, because at the end of the day, the big cheese is like McAleenan, first and foremost, as DHS secretary. And there's other people that tie up the Justice Department at the White House with some of the new policies they want to write at the border are causing us problems. We're going to talk about some of that next week. Some of the new policies that are in the pipeline, some of the things we've suggested, hinted to, but they've been held up. Um. But, but there's something more fundamental. If I were appointed to any position in the White House, I don't know if much would change. I hate to tell you that. It takes a movement. I know some of you might be sick of me saying this, but I can't impress, impress this upon you enough. One man, two, five, seven people can't do it. You need close air support. You need a movement creating a political reality for that, especially given that the other side is so entrenched. And when all of our forces are so distracted or, or worse, go along with bad things for a talking point, you could appoint two, three good people. It's not going to make a difference. And that's why it's so important that our work gets out more and more people augment it and we can get other people to echo it. You know, a lot of people hate when people take their work. I know even Mark Levin always complains about it. He calls them the backbenchers. Look, I don't mind. 
I don't care. You could downright plagiarize my stuff. Get it out. It's a, I'm flattered by it. You know, the more people say it, give it over without without attribution. That's fine. That's that's a mission accomplished for me. So we're making some progress. It's good, but we need a movement. And let me explain to you what I'm talking about. Let me get to the bad news. Yesterday, Kim Kardashian's rear end made another appearance in the White House. Now, like any liberal, they don't get up there and say, I'm going to let out dangerous criminals to terrorize your neighborhoods. They say, we're going to give people a second chance and I'm going to pay with my own money. I'm going to start programs to find jobs. Well, that sounds like the most noble cause, right? But as I told you, where this is really headed is mandating that employers are not al- that they must hire criminals that they're not allowed to even inquire about criminal history. The state of New Mexico just passed that. They are not allowed to inquire. Sex offenders, violent punks. You know, it's funny. A, a lot of uh, my libertarian friends are like, hey, Daniel, I'm not a fascist. I'm for limited government. I don't like the government locking people up. Well, look, nothing says libertarian like mandating that private businesses hire criminals. Yeah, that's real libertarian there. Kind of like mandating uh, castration operations being paid for on taxpayer dime in the military. Yeah, real, uh, real libertarian there. So these are the prog- progressive libertarians. But how the hell is it that we have the president of the United States who has spoken stronger on crime to this day, even after passing this bill, signing into law, says they need the death penalty, has some good people in the administration, and yet you have him now saying things and giving Kim Kardashian's rear end an open door more than Obama gave them while some of our sheriff friends fighting for angel families, fighting for sovereignty, frankly dealing with the results of the jailbreak movement when this president said how he loves them, they don't have an in with him. And that's because, I mean, look, I'll tell you my own network. Blaze TV, TV tweeted out last night, on, on Kim Kardashian's thing, they put American flags on it. When she's like, oh, we're going to get people jobs, put like like American flags. And look, I just I just hit at it. I, I don't, I mean, look, you know, it's a big organization. We merged. I don't know who does the social media, um, who tweeted that. I dinged it. And you know what? They took it down. They, they deleted that tweet. And look, let, let, let me say this. You know, not everyone's going to have the same view as me here. The Blaze has been very... Um, very amazing, more than anyone on this, allowing people to have their own voice. And I have never been stifled, not a single time, and they appreciate that. So you're, you're going to have other people that are going to have a different style, different focus, and sometimes even different values on some issues. But the good news is they, they don't, you know, censor me. So look, you know, I mean, I know some of you sometimes will see someone, uh, you know, colleagues say this or that. Yeah, I mean, look, you're you're, you're going to have diversity. It is what it is, and I, but I think they should be applauded for, uh, for according me that opportunity um, where no one else will. But you know, my point is again, I think whoever it was, it was kind of a mindless tweet. I don't think they talked about it. I don't think anyone else has studied this issue as carefully as I have, and the data on it that 43% of those in federal prison are foreign nationals. So it's not even a matter of reintegration in society and finding a job. They, they, they're they supposed to be deported. Should be deported. I mean, it, the whole thing's a joke. But that's my broader point when you don't have a movement that actually is moored in something. And it's just looking for for a talking point. Like I just saw one of one of the big you know Trump people tweeted out like thank you Kim Kardashian for doing more for blacks than any Democrat candidate in 2012. And, and I was like boom like that's it. They're just looking for this talking point. It's not a matter of what's better for public safety. We're more pro black than you Democrats. See what Trump is saying. And really, it's so offensive because I said all the time, come down to my hometown of Baltimore and I'll show you what jailbreak does for blacks. It hurts them more than anyone else. 
But anyway, that's what's frustrating. It's like in the same day we make progress, we go backwards. Like everyone was like, yeah, the president, Mexico. Do you know what a joke it is? <laughs> I found out that the, the boats that the Mexicans deployed on the river, one day, one day of deployment, they're gone. So I put that out on Twitter last night and Colonel Dan Steiner tweets back at me. Oh, I guess that's how long the cartels allowed them to stay. I mean, it's such a joke. And look, I think deep down when the president's trying to get conservatives off his back, he knows that it's not going to work. He knows he needs to act. And that's the point here. I'm not going to be like some of these other sycophants and say, oh my gosh, I'm an amazing. I got all my best friends are now you know, in charge of immigration. No, we didn't win anything. We didn't score any points. To me, getting personnel in there is like recovering possession of the ball. Now we got to make the plays. We got to empower them, pressure them, back them against their the other forces in the admin, expose what's going on, expose what's going on at the border, what's going on in the world, what's going on in the administration, some of the bad personnel and policies. But I can't be the only one doing this. If I am, it's um it's not going to work. But thankfully we have help. You know, one of the most amazing things about this job that I am blessed to have, amidst all the frustration, the frustration on the policy side that there aren't enough people willing to focus on the right issues, do the right thing, is the people I get to meet. Um, that there's so many wonderful people in America, law enforcement, local elected officials that are trying to really draw attention, particularly to our sovereignty crisis. And that's really what it is, a sovereignty crisis. And they have such good stories to tell. They really want to, you know, do the right thing. And I'm blessed to be in a position where sometimes I could help them. They could help educate me. I could help get them connected. And I think you've, you've seen this already with a lot of the wonderful guests we've had on this show that have been so informative that have helped uh, shape my thinking and I've helped get their message out likewise. And uh, one of these individuals I, I really just met is the mayor of Uvalde, Texas, uh, Dan McLaughlin. And uh, these are nonpartisan positions in that part of the country. And this is a guy that just has a small town of 17,000 people, West Texas, which you know previously did not deal much with uh, illegal immigration, that they now get people dumped into their town where they have to pay to transport them out. They are getting a lot of the belligerents coming in as a result of this on their outskirt areas and the ranches they get exposed to the problem of diseases and we never hear from them we hear every time an illegal has a claim every time they want to give birth in america we just certainly heard from them a couple minutes ago with a federal appeals court saying they have a constitutional right to an abortion remember um even a real right like the second amendment uh illegal immigrants don't have a right to carry um, legal immigrants don't have a right to donate to a political campaign, but by golly, illegal immigrants have a constitutional right to either force their baby on us as an American citizen or have us directly give them access to kill the baby. No middle ground. <laughs> um, uh, but no one hears from the American citizenry. No one is listening to them. Um, for the first time, we're going to bring on uh, Dan, Mayor Dan. He, Some of you might have seen him on Tucker Tucker's show last night. And uh, hopefully it won't be the last time we have you on. Hey, Mayor, how you doing? I'm good. How are you today? I appreciate I'm, the opportunity. Well, I'm even better now that you joined me today because I was going to blow a gasket just doing this so solo. I'm so ticked off about so many things. Um, could you just first start off before we describe your town and what you're dealing with specifically, just in general? Um, I have followed the immigration issue very, 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 very closely for 15 years on the policy side. I have never seen anything like what we see today in the state of Texas. Um, Texas has taken it on the chin more than anyone. Uh, 70 percent, uh, 70, 75 percent of all the record migrants are coming into Texas. I, to me, this would be all hands on deck. And yet the only one that I know of, of either party including Republicans in your state that I see speaking out is a obscure freshman congressman 
close to your area, but not in your district, uh, uh, Chip Roy, the statewide elected officials that have a lot of notoriety, I don't really hear from them. What am I missing? Well, we, we well, this started for us about a month ago. We have called the governor's office. We've called all our federal elected officials and everything, and we're just not getting any responses back. We can talk to an aide every now and then. They'll tell us, oh, we're doing this or we're doing that, but it has nothing to do with border security. I mean, it's getting – we've grown up in uh, in Uvalde along the border 50 miles, 60 miles away. We've always had a little bit of immigration, but they were, they were never a problem like this like we're seeing now. We In the last two weeks alone, we've had six car chases. Right before I got on the show with you this morning, I talked to the city manager, and we were having another one this morning. The Wednesday, they, we had one that came into town, and one of, that, one of the people that were apprehended had federal warrants out for him. Marshal, federal marshals had a, had a warrant out for him to pick him up. And we're seeing this more and more because the Border Patrol is so, so slammed right now with these family units that the bad guys know that, and we're starting to see more and more of that traffic that we've never seen before. You mean so that it's not all lovey-dovey good people coming over the border? No, we had a we had, as, as I told you there we had a, a landowner that uh, lives right on the edge of town. Uh, the other day, he was out in his field. He got confronted off a group that jumped off the train. One of them got very aggressive and belligerent with him and threatening. Uh, the individual uh, tried to catch him. Uh, it, it just got worse from there. The individual finally ran off. But so I called him and talked to him, and he said it's gotten so bad at his house that his grandkids will not come over and, and swim in his swimming pool at his house unless he sits outside in the backyard with a shotgun because they're just they're getting bolder and more brazen. And it's just a matter of time before one of them or a citizen in our community is going to get hurt. And it's a shame that it's going to come to that to bring the national attention to it and get our federal, our federal officials to do something because they're not doing anything. We're not hearing anything from uh, Congressman Hurd. We had everything from Senator Corn's office. We had everything from Senator Cruz's office. We called the governor's office, and we're not. It's falling on deaf ears. And you know, we're a small town, and all of a sudden, we're having to handle the immigration. Luckily, we have a good relationship with our border patrol in Uvalde, and they're as frustrated as we are because they're in, they're they're supposed to catch these people, and now they're babysitting them, and they're frustrated too. But we're they're having to spend all their time with family units or children, uh, unaccompanied minors, and the bad guys know this, and we're seeing more and more of them. I don't think we've had a car chase with legal aliens in the last 20 years or 25 years in Uvalde that I can remember until until this last year lately. And it's getting more and more every day. And it's scary. And, and, and we're not even screening these people for diseases. I mean, at the Holden Center in Uvalde, we've had three cases a month. They're quarantined out there. But, but months, I mean, months can, are treatable. But what other diseases do we not see? What do we not know? Whoa, whoa. It, it's, just, so, it's just. There's a lot going on there to unpack. I, I want to get to the diseases in a minute. Um, just first on the security stuff. So it's important, uh, you know, for our listeners, uh, if, if you don't know Texas well, look on a map, you know, you guys are anywhere from, depending on which direction you go, 40 to 60 or so miles from the border. You're not right at the border. So, you know, you, you're getting the residual border effects, the the getaways, um, gotaways, they call them, uh, right, you know, right in your area. Could you just describe, for those who don't know, the strategic importance of Uvalde, even though it's a small town of 17,000, that you sit at the nexus of two major highways, right? Yes, we and Uvalde is the crossroads for Highway 90 and Highway 83. Highway 83 runs from the tip of Texas down in the valley all the way to Canada, Highway and Highway 83. Highway 90 runs from the Florida coast, from the east coast, all the way to the west coast. And so it's it's... It's a high traffic area. I mean, we have in Uvalde alone, we have over a hundred border patrol agents that are stationed in Uvalde that patrol the out the outlying areas net. But every one of those agents now are pulled closer to the border and farther away from Uvalde because there's such an influx of these migrants. And and it, it's it like I said, it's it's getting to be scary. And people are, in our community, it's a powder keg. It's going to blow up. It's 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 scary. Um, you know. Where I am, I live in a place called Baltimore County. It's got a million residents. 
several billion dollar budget. Um, these, you know, these East Coast counties are, are pretty well taken care care of. Uh, in your city, a few million dollars here and there is a big deal. So, what oh, type of costs? Yeah, what type of costs have you had? Ha, do you have to shell out um, for you know the migrants well, getting dumped in your community? Well, well, you know, not counting the without counting the manpower of our police department, our sheriff's department, or city staff or county staff that has to deal with it. It's costing us three hundred dollars a a bus, three hundred dollars for the city, three hundred dollars for our county. I mean, and that's money that we don't have budgeted. It may not sound like much, but when you run buses day in and day out, and you're having to pay that, that's taken away from our, from you know other other areas that we could be using that money to repair streets, uh, water lines, sewer for our community, our parks. I mean, our citizens are up in arms that we're having to pay this. That the federal government's nowhere in sight to pick up this tab. And, you know, like I said, it, it's, it's very frustrating. I mean, we've, we've had 162 come through. The only reason we're not getting more right now today is because we, Uvalde is the holding center for unaccompanied minors. In the last 10 days, that number of unaccompanied minors has tripled. And so they're having to hold them at their holding facility in Uvalde. It's just, it's like there's a telegraph to the, uh, across the border telling them what to do, what to say, and where to come. And it's it just, and there's no end in sight. I mean, we, we need help on the southern border. The towns of Eagle Pass and Del Rio, Del Rio, Texas, is 62 miles from Uvalde. They're catching between 500 and 1,000 a day there. They're releasing in the town of Del Rio 140 to 160 a day. Del Rio's like us. They're a bigger town. There's 60,000 people on the border, but they don't have the resources to keep this up. They don't have the manpower to keep this up. They've spent over $140,000 to date. I don't even know what Eagle Pass has spent, and they're getting anywhere from three to 500 a day released in their community. And it's just, it's terrible. I mean, and then, you know, you want, everybody wants to talk about in uh, South America. That's not true. So far, there's 29 different countries that are crossing the the southern border. You're you're cutting out a little bit on me. Um, yeah, if you just get closer to your to your phone, um, I, what I wanted to reiterate, you mentioned that there's 29 different countries coming. So, again, the geography you're in what the Border Patrol calls the Del Rio Border Patrol sector. So um, that's a sector that, from what I can see as a percentage, it is the fastest growing smuggling corridor. Obviously, the biggest numbers are still in El Paso and uh, and Rio Grande Valley, but Del Rio is is as a percentage really exploding from very, being very quiet to being very prominent now. But you are getting more than anyone the SIAs, the special interest aliens, the Africans, Middle Easterners, the Cubans. It seems to be a real smuggling corridor for also non Central Americans. Could you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Well, I mean, what, the question I asked our federal officials the, uh, a week ago Saturday. 115 people from Congo showed up at the Del Rio border. And, you know, coming from the Congo and Africa, you end up in Del Rio, Texas, in the middle of nowhere. I mean, that, that where are they coming from? How'd they get there? Nobody can answer that question. Two days later, they got another 350 from the Congo. I mean, it's just crazy. I mean, uh, we've never seen anything like it. And, you know, they don't speak English. They don't speak Spanish. They speak French or Portuguese. Well, we don't have too many French speakers or Portuguese speaker in Del Rio, Texas, Uvalde, Texas, even San Antonio, for that matter. We just don't have it. And this is the things that we're, we're facing. I mean, it's time to that we need to shut this border down. We need to get control of it. It's 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 wild. It's like the Wild West again. Um, what, One of the things that I'm curious about is along the border – What's surprising is that you have this dynamic where the initial dumping is often in places where the politics are as such they just don't care. They just don't care. Culturally, they don't care. And then they wind up going to the East Coast, but it's too subtle. It's not a direct dumping. You know, for example, I mean, you see all those unaccompanied minors in your facility there or the federal facility in your town. You know where they're all headed. I mean, they're all headed to illegal alien families, often, by the way, with criminal records, in addition to being here illegally. 
in my part of the country, um, very much in Maryland, Virginia, um, New Jersey, the, these type of states. And, you know, there's no... There, there, there's no sense of urgency in some of these places. For example, the Rio Grande Valley, a lot of the townsfolk I'm told in some of these places, they just don't care. Uvalde is, you told me 80, 90% Hispanic heritage. Um, but, but is it your contention that they are not like some of these towns I'm talking about? They actually do care. They do care. They don't want them there. They don't, they, they feel if they're going to come, they ought to have to do it legally. They shouldn't be doing it the way they're doing it. They don't like it. They don't want them in our community uh, coming in this way. They don't think it's right. I mean, some of these families have been there years and years and years, but their their grandparents or their great-grandparents, they crossed the border. They did it the right way. They did it the legal way. And and they're very proud. They're very proud people, and they're very good. Uh, I mean, they contribute a lot to our community in Uvalde. But yet it frustrates them to see that these people are just coming over and being uh, treated like like royalty, they can get these immigrants that come over can get better health care, better attention than the homeless can. Those that are poor, or even our veterans, they get it's it's unbelievable, and they're frustrated with this. They, they you know they don't feel it's right. Uh, they, they get very frustrated, and they're very void, and they get very mad that we're using city money and county money to have to bust them to San Antonio. But if we didn't, we'd have them roaming the streets of Uvalde, and it would be even worse. Ooh, wait, could, could you, could you, um, I, I, again, I want to get to the hospital's healthcare, but could you describe that for us? What does that mean that you're on the hook for it? So they bust them in, or the Border Patrol gets them in from Del Rio, and and then what? I don't understand why you have to be on the hook to get rid of them. How did this start? Well, here, here, here's how it all started. When the Border Patrol came to us, they said, look, we've been told by our bosses that we've got so many people that we're fixing to start releasing uh, these, these, well, I guess they're legal now because of, with their term, but illegal immigrants in your community. We're, we're at capacity. We have no storage facilities forming that. So we're going to start processing family units, and we're going to release them in your town. You can choose whether we release them at Stripes, which is a, which is a convenience store, HEB, our local grocery store, or the Walmart. And we said, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. We don't, we don't want to do that. You know, there's got to be some other choice here. Well, that's what we're told to do. So the county judge and I got together and we sat down with the Border Patrol and we're using a, a, a SWART, uh, which is the Southwest Transit Authority, which helps the, uh, the uh, people that don't have cars that get to doctor's appointments and different things. It's funded by the state of Texas, but it's very cheap transportation for them. Well, we have one of their big headquarters in Uvalde, so they have buses. So we cut a deal with them that it's costing us $300 a bus to take these people from Uvalde to San Antonio. We've asked about reimbursement. We've asked about money from the government. We don't have any. We're not authorized. We're not giving you any. So we're having to pick up that tab on those buses to take those people there. And, you know, like I said, we just don't have the facilities. If we were to open a shelter and try to put them in a shelter, we run the numbers and it would cost us between $3,500 and $4,200 a day. And so it's cheaper for us to bust them there. And we're just not, we're not getting reimbursed for that. And that doesn't even count the manpower that a police department puts in, that the sheriff's department puts in, or the staff. It's just crazy. I've never seen anything like it. And and how long have you been in government, local government? I signed on, uh, I'm in my sixth year. Uh, and like I said, the, the job of being the mayor of Uvalde, I get $50 a month. So, <laughs> you know, I'm, oh, I'm not really, I'm not doing it for the money. I'm doing it because I care about my community. <laughs> oh, man. The illegals, I think they get a bigger stipend when they, you know, with, the, with catch and release than that. Um, oh, yeah. man. Oh, boy. That's unbelievable. Um, you know, one, one of the things I was wondering, so, so first of all, just to, to capture what you're saying, if you wouldn't have actively used local funding to bust them to San Antonio, they would have just been roaming your streets and the feds wouldn't have cared. I mean, they're just like, Here, here's what we're doing and that's it. But that's basically what they said. I mean, our local, 
our local border patrol, which we have a good relationship with, tells us, look, it's out of our hands. We're being told by our bosses this is what we're going to do. Uh, we don't like it, but this is what we're being told to do, and so we have to do it. So we're here trying – so we want to work something out with y'all. So basically, yes, they don't the, – the, their hands are tied. Uh, we've talked to Congressman Hurd, who's just recently written a letter. I haven't seen it, but supposedly written a letter asking us to be reimbursed in that. And, of course, the governor's all said, well, you get these border star grants, just divert that money. Well, that money is spent before we even get it because it's a year out. So we've mm-hmm. already budgeted things that we need to do in our area but with that money. So we're having to take actual taxpayer money and pay for these buses. And it's very frustrating to them. And it is to us, too. We don't like it either. Uh, me personally, I'd like to load up a whole bus up and bring them to Washington or take them to some of these uh, politicians that think there's no problem there. Let's g- give us an address. We'll send you a bus full <laughs> uh, and see how you like it. No, that, that, well, so, so to put an exclamation mark on what you just said, so let, let's go into the diseases. Um, one of the amazing things that I've seen, I've never seen anything like it. There's a complete blackout in the general media and the government about um, the the threat of diseases. Now, you don't need to be a worldly person or a doctor or a healthcare expert to understand that if you bring in hundreds of thousands of people, certainly from Central America, but then even then from Venezuela, from Congo, I mean, the countries that have... Um, Ebola, yellow fever, malaria, but then, you know, very prominently measles, mumps, tuberculosis, and to lesser extent, chickenpox and and scabies. I mean, it's more prevalent, but lesser, you know, in terms of severity. Um, You know, you're, and and then they come under the worst conditions. Obviously, you're going to have a serious problem no matter what, but then we've, Typically, we held them for a specific period of time, so you could say they deal with it, they rule it out, screen it, but now a good number are being released within hours, within hours of showing up. So it's inconceivable that this stuff is not a problem. Now, I put in a request about a month ago and uh, to, to, to tell me what's going on with the mumps and this and that, and they flat out denied it, and they said the only things that they see are chicken pox and the flu, which that in itself should be bad enough. Tell me what you're hearing in the area. Well, we're, I mean, I can tell you firsthand. I mean, we've had we've had three confirmed cases of the mumps at the at the facility there in Uvalde, and they were quarantined. Uh, but when you at, but we're 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 running into the same thing you are when we're asking about health issues, when we're being told from people along the border that this is happening. When we ask, we're getting oh no, there's no problem. There's not this, but you know, just a couple of weeks ago, they had to shut down one of the processing centers in. Uh, the Rio Grande Valley uh, and fly. They flew people from the Rio Grande Valley to Laughlin Airport Base in Del Rio, Texas, because they couldn't process them down there. But you're exactly right now. They catch these family units. They bring them in. They run them through a deal. Try to do a a, a uh, they fingerprint them, question them, and see if they can find anything about them. And you walk through a little room. Do you feel okay? You look okay? Okay, you're good. There's no there's no medical screening going. And if they may have it, and the symptoms are just fixing the show. They may be a carrier of it. Nobody knows. And that's another thing that has a lot of people afraid. And, and, and indeed, just, uh, just, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there. No, I thought I was just going to say, like I said, and, and you know, the, the biggest scare we had the other day with the Africans coming in, and we still haven't been able to get confirmation from anybody. It's almost like they want to say it's a it's a it's a bad word, but we were told that some of these people that came over from the Congo, which does have uh, one of the worst cases outbreaks right now of Ebola in the world, that they had three people supposedly that had the symptoms for Ebola in quarantine uh, in Nuevo Laredo and the Laredo sector, and but you can't get anybody to verify that other than to tell you, oh no, you're crazy. There's no problem. Well, we're going to wake up one day and there's going to be a problem because that's typically what I've seen about government. They'll let it go and then ask for forgiveness later. Wow. that 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 is – it's funny because I'm finding that every last thing we're about a year ahead of the curve and they deny, 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 and then and then it's there. So, so now they're at the stage of den- denying Ebola. But the problem is they denied yeah. mumps 
And now that's it's everywhere. I mean, I have it from uh, the head of ice that it's so rampant in the facilities. They're losing a lot of bed space, which is already very scarce. And they're overrunning the bed space because they have to cut off quarantine a whole bunch of wings of the facilities. They lose a bunch of space because of the mumps. I mean, it's everywhere that that, that we have 50 sources on that. Obviously, um, you know, you, you sent this to me. We're trading emails back and forth before the show. Chris Cabrera, the vice president of the Border Patrol Union. I mean, he put out here and let me um you know just read this for our listeners uh i think one night they had 19 agents call in sick with some type of symptom or some type of illness says cabrera he says agents come into contact with lice scabies pneumonia tuberculosis measles mumps the chicken pox and endless strains of the flu and aggressive chest colds and and, and that that's another thing meaning even the colds the flus and then certainly the mumps and measles and then I, I've heard for years about TB. This is not America. I mean, these are the jungles of Central America, places that are unimaginable, um, that our own government officials testified is almost a verbatim quote that they're coming from a lack of sanitary conditions, never seen a doctor before, haven't been vaccinated. The type of strains you have there are very different. I mean, um, uh, Tom Homan has told me many times he's now going to be uh, borders are. He just told me this this week that they had problems in ice facilities for years with um, re- t- uh, treatment resistant strains of TB. They're just like they didn't know what to do with it. Um, we're, we're just not used to seeing this stuff. Even our medical experts, which you know anyone in Border Patrol will tell you, God bless these people, the nurses or whoever they bring in, and they they are beefing up their staff, but they're not you know trained in in you know hardcore infectious diseases. That's just not what they are. Um, yeah. It, it, it is shocking to me how this is a no-fly zone from our government. Well, it's, it's downright scary. Like I said, they won't. Nobody wants to tell you anything. It's like you know. It's like we're, they work. They're secret agents. It's a secret. We can't tell anybody. But what's going to happen? We're going to wake up, and one of these strains are going to be in our in a community. It may not be Uvalde. Maybe Eagle Pass. Maybe Del Rio. Maybe Lorena. Or maybe when it gets to San Antonio when it manifests and we're going to have a problem. You're going to have a health problem because like I said, nobody's taking it seriously or they're just sweeping it under the rug and it's going to come back to bite us all. It's going to wow. come back to bite us all. Um, man, that, that is, see, that's what really scares me. And if we're going to at least suffer from it, I think, um, you know, it's important to get it out now that we can actually know what's going on, know where it's coming from, because you're right. They deny it up and down until it happens. And one of the stories I find amazing, and this is a county, let's just say the politics are are a little different than yours, and you don't have to comment on it, but Hidalgo County, where McAllen is, that is, I mean, everyone agrees, that is the most trafficked of all 32 Porter counties. That's ground zero. Um, and that is also the site of the biggest mumps outbreak in communities outside of ICE detention facilities. They have 51 confirmed cases as of May 28th. And they will tell you they have no idea where it's coming from. They, they don't have any hypothesis. They're, they're confa- confounded by the fact that usually when we get cases, they're in, in children. But these are in, you know spreading to adults. But one thing they are positive of, it's not from the migrants. And they will tell you that. It is unbelievable. So that's the thing. When you get it later, they could always deny. Another thing that's interesting, and, and I you know, I could send you this information for um, the county officials, sheriffs, uh, local community leaders you're working with to try to get governmental action. Um, beginning in August 2014, right, right after the influx of the first Central American miners, right, right? That was the UAC crisis. It started in June of 2014. August 2014, suddenly there was an outbreak, if you remember, of enterovirus D68, the respiratory illness. Um, and then likewise, right around then, we started getting AFS, AFM, acute flaccid myelitis. That's this mysterious polio-like disease, causes paralysis, um, but starts out as what appears to be innocuous cold. And to this day, health experts say they have no clue. They have no, we have never had AFM in this country before then. They have no clue where it's coming from. There's 550 confirmed cases of AMF uh, since 2014, according to CDC. 90% of them are in children. Um, the more milder enterovirus D68, they have, um, uh, they had the third, uh, 1,395 confirmed cases, according to CDC. 
And the only thing they know or are starting to lean towards is, as, as we figured, is that AFM likely is related to or comes from the antivirus D68. And yet, no, they will never, I mean, we, we have no variable, no other variable to hang our hat on. Why in, and you know, being in Texas, exactly what the summer of 2014 is, exactly what happened then. So we're here years later and it just, yeah, you know, we have polio in this country. Yeah, yeah. I don't know where it came from. So it, it's just very chilling when you talk about, you know, they'll ask forgiveness later, or I would say engage in denial later. Um, and I think that's the importance of just getting out the truth. It is. And like I said, it's, 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 it, it, they just, well, I mean, this is Americans that we're, we're, we're dealing with American lives, people that they were elected to uphold and take care of and make sure. And we're not, we're not telling them the truth. We're not telling them what's going on. And, it, and it's sad. It's truly sad. One of the things I just, uh, I'm going to let, let you go in a couple of minutes. I know you're busy. Um, a lot of people are asking me, why doesn't Texas engage in a lawsuit? I don't know if you read my article from this morning, but we'll just talk about it real briefly. I crunched the border numbers for May, and I found out that just 2.3% of all family units apprehended in May came to California. Just 2.3%. Yet a California judge taking statute which says shall be detained and they say well actually if you come with a kid shall not be detained right make up their own law a california judge who has no jurisdiction outside the southern district of california only 2.3 percent of the families are, are there 98 percent are not there and by my best calculation between 70 75 percent are in the state of texas okay that's where it is People are asking, why not sue the administration the other way and say, wait a minute, the law says shall be detained. Now, you're telling me a California judge says it, fine, do that in California, but you have no right to send them here or not detain them if you're bringing them here. Have you guys thought of that? Is there any movement that our listeners maybe could help out with, um, you know, if we have any any sure. legal help on, on the line? Sure. We would love, we would love to know that. I mean, I've called the attorney general of the state of Texas. I didn't get to talk to him. I got to talk to again, another aide. Uh, you don't get to talk to your elected officials, even if you're an elected official, but that's one of the things that, that, uh, I did ask that, and I have had our city attorney looking at and the TML, which is Texas Municipal League. If there's some standing that we could file suit against the federal government, to stop this as of yet. I don't have an answer. I don't have an answer back that of what we can do or what we can't do. Uh, everything that we tell us, it's so hard to sue the federal government to get them to do anything. You don't have standing. You don't have this. So if you have listeners, I mean, I, there's nine counties that we're, that we're affiliated with in Uvalde. It's in the middle of Rio Grande de, uh, development. Uh, they would, if we had standing and we could show it, I promise you, we would all, uh, sign on to stop this because this is this is getting worse. It's not getting better. And when we talked to the Border Patrol the other day, they told us to expect this to continue for the next 18 to 24 months. Don't look for it to get any any better. Look for it to get worse. And so, like I said, if we had something or we had some ground to stand on, I, in a heartbeat, we would file that lawsuit or we would demand the Attorney General of the state of Texas file that lawsuit if we could find the standing or the ground to stand on to challenge this. But they, they got, they're coming into this country with a loophole in the deal of how they're being released. There's got to be a loophole that could stop it. And we would, and I, in a heartbeat, you know, I don't, I'm not, a, I'm not an advocate of, of lawsuits and different things, but sometimes that's what it takes to get people's attention. And, and, and it's funny you say you're not an advocate. I am totally with you. I think political issues need to be dealt with in the political sphere. But this entire problem was created by the courts, and what's so sad is that I, I agree with making it hard to sue the, the government. I'm, I'm not a fan of that for a number of reasons. But the problem is every illegal – that there's 120 years of case law saying they don't have standing. It's as if they're not here. There is no right to to um to to litigate, and yet these lower courts violate Supreme Court precedent in California, hurting Texas. And the amazing thing about that is that 
you guys can never get sending it because like, you're right. I spoke with someone and, and they said it's going to be tough. But the illegals, and just today, the D.C. Court of Appeals, they have a right to demand that HHS drive them to an abortion clinic. It is, it's unreal. Anything they want, they're suing the government for a lack of treatment. They're suing the government for separating their families. Can you imagine? I mean, you know this in local government, yeah, local law enforcement you work with. Americans every day get separated by, from their kids as a consequence of them committing crimes and being prosecuted. And yet, illegals are able to first of all, make up their own law, like somehow they're better than everyone and uh, they could commit crimes and, well, I got a kid, well, what are you going to do? And But but yet, sue the government. I mean, we are strangers in our own country. Well, as I, as I said in, in before, uh, our federal elected officials have become elitist. We no longer, they no longer work for us. We work for them, for what, what benefits, what they think benefits them. Like I said, this immigration deal should be screaming to the top, to the top of everybody's, everybody's lungs and come down. I, I invite anybody come down. I'll take you to Del Rio, Texas to see Mayor Lozano or over to Eagle Pass to see Mayor Cantu. We'll take you or to the Border Patrol agents, uh, Randy Davis or, or Chief Ortiz uh, or Chief Escajera or different ones and, le- and let you walk in their shoes for a day or see what they do. But let's, and, and let's show you what's real. Not when you're going to put on the news and the fanfare that you're coming to Texas to see this and you only see the areas they want you to see. Come down, let us show you what really goes on behind the closed doors and see what these guys are having to deal with and the problems that are there and the problems that are going to be in, in America. Again, we're, we're, we're setting these immigrants that we're bringing into the United States up to fail. You, what they, they are given a legal document that says they can be in the United States but that legal document forbids them to get a job and take care of themselves. So who's going to take care of them? We have to, the taxpayers of the United States. For they, can't, they cannot even apply for a waiver to get permission to work till they've been here 18 months. They may not even have their hearing for 18 months to three years. And then when they ask for that waiver, they're looking at another 18 months before they get an answer whether they can do it or not. So... That's the fallacy that, that people aren't seeing here. We're bringing all these people in here with no way to take care of themselves, no way, no, no way to support themselves, and we're going to be stuck doing that, the American people. And that's not fair. There's homeless people. And when you look at the stories every day of the homeless communities growing, more and more homeless people, more, uh, more and more veterans that are losing health care and that, why aren't we taking the same money that we're spending on these uh, illegal immigrants and giving it to the homeless and the veterans and taking care of our own first. I, I mean, I, I, I couldn't I believe it. People have rights. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. I'm done. No, I'm done. No, no. You said about having rights. I'll get on it. Well, I mean, I understand that that all people should have rights, but I don't look at this. Uh, I mean, these people that are American citizens, we we have rights, and they're being infringed upon by these illegal immigrants, and that's not right. No, exactly. And, and, and they, they have human rights. They don't have citizens. They don't have a right to be here. They don't have a right to come here. This government, we're going to celebrate on July 4th, the Declaration of Independence, governance by the consent of the governed. It derives its powers from the consent of the governed. It is it is a, a government of and by and for its citizenry, not for foreign nationals. You know, if people want to open up a private missionary in, for Central Americans, God bless it. But it is the federal government resources are not yours to give away for them. The border patrol is not for them. It is to protect us from the cartels, the bad guys coming in. It is not to to service them. It just isn't. Um, that that is not what it's there for. And and you're right. I mean, I, I talked about it on the show yesterday uh, about how um, ICE had seven tweets about the granular details of facilities for transgender illegals. And it, I, I, would, I had the same thought as you. I was thinking, you know, on the East Coast, you don't see it as much. It seems to be more of a West Coast problem, but there's a tremendous amount of homeless in the West, it seems. And I mean, really? I mean, we, we don't have enough of our own issues. This is just, it, it, it's not even a Republican or Democrat issue. It's just everyone outside of the political elites could appreciate that, that we, you know, our government is for our citizenry. That's exactly right. And, and it's not. I mean, like I said, you know, uh, House Speaker Pelosi won't bring a bill to the government. There's not a crisis. It's a deal. Go look at our own district. Go look in San Francisco of all the homeless people on the streets. Don't have anything. 
and yet and yet we don't want to. We're going to just add to that population with what we're bringing in here. To we're going to we're going to grow the grow the problem. It needs to be addressed. I mean, I'm sorry. Uh, you know, come down come down here and where the rest of us live in reality and not in fantasy land and see what's going on. No, 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 no doubt about it. And, and and by the way, you just remind me one more thing on that same uh, theme that you just said. Uh, putting Americans last and, you know, our services are for us. I, I spoke with the sheriff last night of Valverde County, um, where where Del Rio is, right at the border. And he said, look, you know, it's a bigger city than where you are, but it's still small. And there's just one relatively small hospital. He said all the time, I mean, you know, they're dealing with mumps in the hospital there and, and American citizens have to wait online for them. Are, are you hearing that around where you are? Do you have a hospital in, in Valverde? In, in um, Uvalde? Yeah, we have Uvalde Memorial Hospital. And, we're, you know, of course, at our hospital, anytime you go in, it's a two or three hour wait usually. But, uh, but yes, we're starting, they're starting to see more and more. Uh, the Border Patrol brings more and more uh, immigrants in there to be treated uh, and so forth. You can't get the Border Patrol to release you any information, and you can't get the hospital to tell you anything. But we are seeing more and more. Wait, wait a minute. So you're the mayor. And you cannot get information from the hospital as to what sort of diseases they're coming in and what circumstances that's on lockdown. No, that's a, that's a, that would be a violation of the HIPAA act. If we were to tell you anything, you know, I, I have, I, I will tell you when I put in requests about a whole bunch of stuff, I have never in my life seen such concern for privacy as when it comes to illegal aliens. You know, I, I put in um, a media request to um, USCIS yesterday. The, the, those are the asylum adjudicators. And we spoke about, you know, Sheriff uh, Dan, uh, Mark Daniels from Cochise County, Arizona, where he said that after a gun battle with the cartels just a half a block away from Douglas, Arizona, four cartel members from the losing side of Sinaloa came over and requested asylum. And I'm just, you know, I figured I'd, I'd, you know, if you have another moment, I just want to get your comment. And I'm going to read to our listeners uh, with you on air just to, uh, to, to get a sense of this. So you could see what's actually going on. So I, I sent the following email. I said, I'm working on a story for tomorrow about the cartel violence along the Arizona border at Naco and Douglas, which has spawned a beef up, beefed up Arizona DPS presence. Sheriff Mark Daniels of Coaches County confirmed with me local Arizona reports that four cartel members expressed credible fear at the Douglas Port, port of Entry following an intra-Sinaloa bloodbath on Tuesday in Agua Prieta, just a few blocks away from the port. Can you confirm with me the status of these individuals? Did they receive credible fear interviews by USCIS asylum adjudicators? And were they approved? Also, do you have any general background you can provide for how you treat intra or inter-cartel violence? In other words, much like with the Sunni and Shias, they might legitimately fear the other persecutor, but they themselves are terrorists or criminals engaged in a civil war. Would USCIS approve such credible fear claims of known cartel members? Thank you for your time. Okay, that was an email I sent. He sends back to me on background. Asylum applications are confidential under immigration law, and we may not discuss information contained in or pertaining to asylum applications, including or whether or not an individual has filed an application. End quote. Now, mind you, I don't even know who these people are. It was never put out in the first place, so it was vague. I just wanted to know, like, hey, do we approve, do we give asylum to persecutors? Right? That was my question. Um. No privacy. I mean, I, I just figured you'd appreciate that. Yeah, I mean that, that that's our that, that we're trying to be so politically correct in everything we do now. That's going and that political correctness is going to get somebody hurt or a catastrophe is going to happen of it. We need to call it what it is. Throw the skunk on the table and let's discuss what the issues are and put it right out there in the open where everybody can see. If most people knew what was coming, most people knew what was happening at the border. You might see a big change in America. But our but our elected officials tend to want to just keep it quiet. Like you said, Chip Roy earlier, I, you know he's my new hero because he speaks every day on it and he speaks loud and clear and he doesn't he doesn't sugarcoat it. He calls it like it is, and we need more people to do that to speak out because the one the elected officials we have right now that they're not doing it. 
It ain't cutting it. Well, there you have it, folks. A small town mayor, really the crust of America. Maybe we have a budding revolution where, where you have, you know, small town elected officials get together um, and, and, and give voice to the people. And again, I think it's, you know, we're not into race and identity here because we view Americans as Americans. But, you know, given that the other side really is into that, again, it's important to point out he's a small town mayor of a 90 percent Hispanic town or Hispanic heritage, Americans of Hispanic heritage. And, and you know, they, they want what we want. They, they want America. They want a sovereign, safe and secure America. Um, thanks for what you do, um, Mayor. And uh, keep us posted. All right. I sure will. And thank you. I appreciate the opportunity to visit with you. All righty. God bless. Have a great weekend. Uh-huh. God bless you. You know, guys, I actually find that very heartening and re- refreshing at the same time. The, some of the best people I've met in this business are small town, town sheriffs or small county sheriffs, small town mayors, just Real, I mean, it's not even a matter of conservative. I, I think everyone could appreciate them, and and when I speak to them, they're not even that partisan. It's just you know straight up common sense. There's no agenda there. They're just look. I'm, I just care about our people. Most of the bigger elected officials, they care about what the media tells them to care about. So all common sense goes out the window. So I don't know. Maybe there's something there. We'll start thinking about that. Is there a way to bind together and, and have a group? I talked about local sheriffs, local officials, and, and get some sort of a voice. I don't know what that looks like, but definitely something we, we could think of, of, of a bottom-up grassroots approach. Certainly always a, a good, good tactic. Um, we're just about out of time. There's a lot more going on. I didn't get to Iran. Uh, maybe we'll have C- Colonel Steiner on. He's got a lot to say. You could follow him on Twitter. Look, we are weak as a nation. We can't secure our own border, so we can't secure the Straits of Hormuz. I just want to say this is the problem when we misidentify our national interests and we expend so much time, talent, and treasure on pursuing unachievable, undefined goals that anyway have nothing to do with us. We can't even then pursue and defend the interests that that do affect us. This is not so much a air and sea versus land, but it kind of works out that way. When you talk about land, the nation of Iraq, the nation of Syria, there's nothing to do. We can't deal with their people. We can't control them. We can't nation build for them. But what we can and should be doing is the shipping lanes. That is an interest. That is what we always needed to articulate. So now, because of all of our interests that aren't really interests in nation building, where we're basically in a hornet's nest controlled by Iran, we're inhibited from acting where we should by securing the Straits of Hormuz. And Iran knows they can get away with torpedoing tankers, and we're not going to do anything about it. Oh, because we're scared of our troops in Iraq. That is a point. Again, I'm going to keep reiterating that. Maybe we'll have Dan Steiner on to discuss some of this. Um, but yeah, I mean, what we start out the show with, Kardashian having a bigger voice than people like Dan McLaughlin. That, that's what's so sad. Because Trump was really supposed to be the guy to represent exactly the persona of a Dan McLaughlin. These sheriffs we have on as well. Now, they would have a voice if some of my other colleagues would give them a voice. Trump would see that. But if we don't have a movement getting in his face, he's going to see Kim Kardashian's uh, rear end that's hard to miss. <laughs> and uh, that's, what he, that's where he's going to act. So it's been it's been a very dynamic week. There's been a lot of good news with some personnel changes. Now we got to convert them to policy. That is our challenge. Folks, we live in very unsettling times. But there's a lot of inflection points, there's a lot of decision points we're going to be confronted with with as bad as the situation gets, there's also a lot of opportunity. We have a president where we can get the foot in the door. We have people that are willing to listen, willing to appoint good people. Now we need the next step. 
Um, and that's what I'm here for. That's what I'm going to try to do, but I can't do it alone. You need to send this show to every one of your friends that you have, every family member. The, the more we grow the numbers, the more we'll have the ability to do what some of the Fox hosts can do, but don't do, um, and be more influential. And that's 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 the goal. That's our currency here, to actually make a difference. Next week, we're going to have a full week. You know, I was off a little bit this weekend. We had a slow start to the week, but I guarantee you, all things uh, equal, unless I get sick, we'll have a full week again next week. Same time, same place on Monday. God bless you all. Enjoy your weekend. Enjoy your weekend.